Hallelujah. I believe with all my heart that, that if you come to church feeling dry, feeling dead inside, that today that you're going to get out of that grave. Amen. I believe that today God's going to breathe life into your dry bones. He's going to breathe hope into broken hearts. He's going he's gonna to bring healing into broken relationships. He's going to bring provision into people who feel like they're gone without. God sees you. God knows you. God cares about you. And God wants to move in your life today. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Praise God. Man, it's good to be in God's house today. So many things going on. And I'm loving this series already. It's only my second week preaching, excuse me, uh, in this similar series, work, uh, Walking Through uh, Genesis. And uh, I'm loving it so far. And uh, if you're new here, uh, that's what we're doing now. We're walking through Genesis. Uh, we're going to do a few weeks in it and then a few weeks out of it and a few weeks back in it. And <clears throat> me, just going to keep hanging out in Genesis for a little while. And you know, there's more human history in Genesis than there is in the rest of the Word of God combined. And so, so, uh, so this is exciting and uh, loving it. Uh, if you're new, welcome. My name's Jesse. Uh, my wife Lauren and I uh, have the privilege of leading this church. I'm the lead pastor here. We want you to know you're welcome. We love you. And we got a gift for you after the service. So if you, if you, if you could do us a favor when you leave, uh, just find one of the people wearing the yellow shirts and they'll hook you up with a, with a free gift to say thanks for coming to eternity. Uh, if you need any Anything else as well? They're your people. They've got you. So, so please do that. A couple of quick of a couple of quick announcements before I jump into our message today. Um, one of the um, uh, sad but moving forward announcements that we have uh, today is that uh, today's actually going to be the last day uh, that we have our services in Adel, and um, <clears throat> that was announced in Adel last week, and we felt like we should let you all know as well. And what we wanted to let you know was um, we're still committed to the vision that God gave us when we launched Bold, and we talked about how um, well, I prayed a prayer, Lord, do you want us to have campuses around the metro, smaller campuses, or God, because we knew God called us to campuses, or God, do you wants to have a big, flourishing, life-giving campus right here in the middle of Iowa and then campuses further away around the state. And, and, and then after that, uh, God gave us for free three buildings around Iowa that were a couple of hours away in different cities. And so that's been phenomenal. Um, but then what we did was we still, we still reopened our Adel campus um, out there in Adel, on the edge of Adel, and it's only 15 minutes down the road. And what we needed to do is just admit that didn't work out how we planned. Uh, it's just too close, and uh, it is a shed out there. And what we found was that uh, people would rather just, a lot of people would rather just drive 15 more minutes to come to the, the big facility right here down the road. And, uh, and that, 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 um, that, that gap's only going to get bigger as we uh, renovate and extend here and end up with a, uh, when it's all done, I don't know, 10 to $15 million state-of-the-art facility here with a dedicated youth and students building that people are going to be like, why should I go to the shed when I can just go 15 minutes down the road and go to that brand new state-of-the-art facility where most of the people are. And so, um, so we just wanted to let you know that um, we are committed to our other campuses. They will still be running. That one was just too close. And we had a number of new people actually go visit there and then the next week, 
here they are. Many of you are probably from the Dallas Center, Adel, Winneset area, and that just shows what we're talking about, that a lot of people just kept coming in this way. And, and uh, when we talked about that, when, uh, when my board and I uh, made that decision and, and our leadership team, and we shared it with one, a couple of the staff, and someone said to us that, look, we agree, the only concern we have is it might look like we failed uh, at something, to which I just replied, I feel the Holy Spirit immediately said, okay, what's wrong with that? You know, we don't ever want to be the church that's afraid to step out in faith because we're afraid we might fail at something, you know what I'm saying? And so it's totally okay, um, and we, but we're also not going to be the church that keeps flogging a dead horse just because we're afraid someone might say we ain't perfect and something didn't turn to gold. You hear what I'm saying? So... So that's why that's happening, and, um, and we are working. We do not just want to sell that to some corporation. It is our heart that there would be a life-giving church out there, and we're working with one to help them in their need right now and get them in there. But what we're doing is just sticking with the vision that God gave us, and, um, and Pastor Sean has learned some incredible things out there, um, uh, and, and so now we have full confidence in him. Um, there was just too many cards stacked against it. It's a shed. This one's growing. It's too close, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so uh, Pastor Sean now knows everything that a pastor needs to plant a campus, knows what works, what doesn't work, knows how to build a team. So he's actually going to now oversee all of our campus and church planting as a church and, uh, and help our other campuses get off the ground, train up our pastors, take them to training events. And so we just want to honor Pastor Sean and, and, and his lovely wife, Holly, and their incredible children. Um, they are the most faithful, wonderful, honoring, loyal, hardworking people that you will ever meet. And so a lot of good has come out of it. And, and I'm not saying they failed. Hey, our team in Adel, did a, they did a great job, but the, the cards were just stacked against one 15 minutes down the road. You hear what I'm saying? And so, um, but anyway, again, God's doing good things. We've got Audubon opening uh, this month. Yeah, September. Audubon opening this month as well. Old wine on the way. A lot of great things happening. God is good. Amen. The other thing I just want to make mention of too is it's our birthday celebration in a couple of weeks. Come on. <laughs> That's awesome. And so can't wait, 17th and 18th, bring your friends. We're not here to be like, look how cool we are. That's not what we're doing, but God has done good things and we wanna be grateful and we wanna be thankful and we wanna celebrate, have a big party and say thank you God for what you've done. Looking forward to what you are still about to do, amen. And so we got inflatables, it's all fenced in, face painting, food. We got races on trikes. We got fun for the whole family. Whole lot of good stuff. Gonna be fun. We're gonna have a, uh, a shooting range, a clay target shooting. I'm just kidding, I made that stuff up, but that would be amazing. Uh, Clive would not work with us in future if we did that, so. But anyway, hey, and thanks Pastor Brad for reading the Bible for us earlier. It's a big uh, portion of text. And uh, most weeks we're going to have somebody read the text because um, they're going to be bigger than normal text. And maybe a whole chapter, half a chapter, whatever it is. It'll either be before I preach or in the news or in the host or whatever else. But anyone else think Pastor Brad is like a white James Earl Jones? <coughs> you know? I'm allowed to say that. Just, you know, for the people who are nervous, you know, I'm allowed to say that, all right? 
So my kids listen to the Bible as they go to sleep and it's, um, it's James Earl Jones and um, I don't know, what, I think the reason they like that is they feel like Darth Vader's reading the Bible to them as they sleep, you know. We all knew Darth Vader became a good guy. What you didn't know is he got saved, gave his life to Christ, now he reads the Bible for people. So that's awesome. But, but thank you, Pastor Brad, for that. I appreciate you. I want to get right in and pray and then you can sit down. So lift up your hands. God wants to touch your life today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to have the Word of God in my hand right now. God, I know that's not a privilege that's afforded to a lot of believers in a lot of places around the world, but God, we thank you that it is a privilege that we have here today, and we thank you that we're able to freely hear it, proclaim it, read it, know it, commit it to our hearts, and today as we walk through Genesis, I ask that your Holy Spirit help us to receive your word, understand it better, live it out more purely in our lives, uh, that we would continue to be an example to the world of how God intended his sons and his daughters to live this life. We thank you again, and we just want to say, Lord, have your way. Your way is better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. You may take your seats. <clears throat> awesome. Awesome. Um, I really am just so glad you're here, and um, I, I, I've been looking around. We like the last two services. I was confused why there were so many empty seats, and and uh, and same with this one. If I didn't know, and uh, I literally it, it annoyed me so much. I was like, "Where is everybody today?" You know, and uh, and and then someone yells out, "It's Labor Day," and I was like, "Oh, oh." I've been here 10 years and I just keep forgetting when all the American holidays are, you know? And uh, like any other immigrants in here and you're like, man, these people love public holidays, you know? Like they got one everywhere, you know? And like I know all about July 4th, you know? Like tip out the tea, get out of here, England. This is America now. Like I'm all about that. I got that one down pat. Uh, and I love that, and, um, and, um, and but, but then like Labor Day, I'm like, man, if you miss church on Labor Day weekend, you Labor Day in vain, come on now, so anyway, but, um, but anyway, excited for Genesis chapter 2 today, I um, want to explain the pattern of Genesis a little bit to you, it's not the whole book, but a lot of the book is very zoom in, <clears throat> and then zoom out, and, uh, and what I mean by that is chapter 1, is, is, you know, is actually a significantly longer period of time than chapter 2 is, okay? See, chapter 1 is, 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 is a long period of time. Chapter 2 is, is actually day 6, but in more detail. So it would be like this. If I was explaining to you that I went on a vacation recently, and on the first day we traveled a day, this, we traveled all day, the, and on the second day we swam all day, on the Wednesday we went shopping all day, on the Thursday we prepared and made pies all day, on the Friday we went horse riding, and then on the Saturday we stayed home and we rested because it was a great week and we did a lot and we were tired and we worked hard and we fit a lot in that week and we wanted to stay home and chill out because we did a lot. Uh, but, then I, but then I'm like... But, but, on, but, but the, the horse riding was amazing. And, you know, when we got there, we, 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 they measured us up and, and they paired us with the best horse for our size and our temperament. And they saddled us up and they gave us lessons. And, and, and we went out on this amazing desert trail and Zoe was on the, on the horse with me. And every time the horse neighed, she just burst out laughing. It, it was adorable, right? See, see in that story, that, when I talked about horse riding, that was more detail 
than, than, than the, the whole five days before it. And, and it wasn't an additional day at the end of vacation. What it was was at first we zoomed out and looked at the whole vacation. Then I zoomed in on, on the previously mentioned horse riding. And so, so it is with chapter two. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, chapter one is, is zoom out, all this stuff happened. And chapter two is now I'm going to zoom in on, on God's favorite part of, of those seven days, you understand? Now, if you remember in chapter one, uh, the, the first three verses were written in a grammatically different uh, uh, style in the Hebrew text, and, and, and it talked about how the, the, the way it was written, verse one was an event happened. God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, verse two was the, the state of that event after it was. Now then, after that, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. And then verse three says, and then God said, and that's when the seven literal days of of creation begun. Um, and so, so anyway, what, what I'm saying is that chapter 1 verse 3 all the way to chapter 2 verse 3 is the seven literal days of creation, okay? And, uh, and chapter 2 verse 4 is not another event, but just going back and zooming in on God's favorite part of the story, just like in my made-up vacation story, my favorite part was horse riding with Zoe. Do you understand what I'm talking about, right? So zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. Now, why does any of that matter? Because it's important for us to know that, 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 that verses, uh, one, sorry, verses 4 to 25 are chronologically happening before verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2, okay? So the way the chapter's formed is verse 1 to 3 are chronologically exactly the next day after verses 4 to 25 of chapter 2, all right? So why that matters is because when we zoom in on chapter 2, it's right there, right there on day 6, not some other day later on, right there on day 6 that God created mankind. It's right there on the first day <coughs> that we begin to see God's intended rhythms of our lives begin to unfold, okay? It's not after a few months. It's not after a few years. It's not after the fall. It's right there. There's creation, day six, mankind's first day, and the rhythms that God intends us to have in our lives are unfolding right there. Do you understand that, right? And so what I find fascinating is that we have uh, mankind is created. The rhythms of his life are unfolding and the very next thing that happens is God stops and he rests. And scripture goes on to call it the Sabbath or in Hebrew the Shabbat. And I'm going to explain that, what all that means later on in my sermon, uh, you know, and you know, why we do or do not, and what that means, and, and all that sort of gear. Um, but, but all this has been very technical uh, so far, but, but I, I just felt it was important for you to understand the chronology so you understand when it was that God rested and what happened before then. So within 24 hours of man's creation, we see God's intended plans for the rhythms of our lives are unfolding. And in, in chapter one, 
we saw the very first command that God said. Remember, uh, chapter one is zoomed out, so it was more like what I said before. You know, uh, that day we went shopping. That day we went. That day we, we we went cooking. That day we swam. Right. But but even in that very zoomed out state of chapter one, uh, uh, when it mentions the sixth day, uh, it, it it does tell us the very first thing that God commanded us. It was so important that even in a zoomed out setting, it was the main thing you could see and it was that God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful increase in number other translations will say multiply fill the earth and subdue it or fill the earth (coughs) and rule over it right and so in in chapter 2 what we get is we we get that if we apply the rhythms found in chapter 2 that's how we experience the fruitfulness that God commanded in chapter 1 all right y'all with me right so so God says be fruitful and multiply we're like how well chapter 2 God says well I'll zoom in and I'll show you the rhythms that will create fruitfulness in your life amen So, see, now what are those rhythms? Well, as I go through Genesis chapter 2, what I see is, I see immediately um, there's work. Come on now. There's a relationship with God. There's family. And there is rest. These are the rhythms that God intended our lives to flow on. This thing is moving around. Like, there we go. There we go. And so, so, so we will be fruitful in our lives and we will be fruitful for the kingdom of God if we work hard, if we prioritize our relationship with God, if we steward and enjoy our families, and if we rest properly and if we rest well. Amen? Now, of course, you can have a measure, even a good measure of fruitfulness, um, ticking some of these boxes in your life, but you will never see the full power and the full potential of the fruitfulness that God has in store for your life if you neglect one or some of these rhythms, okay? So I want to look at those rhythms one at a time in your life, and, 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 and what I'm going to do is going to look at them in the order in which God showed them to Adam, uh, not necessarily the order of importance, um, but just how we see them unfolding in Scripture. What's really neat is every one of these rhythms are, are, are just, are, 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 what's it called, are, are reaffirmed repeatedly through almost all books of the Bible and through both the Old and the New Testament. Now, the, now it says in Scripture that God had planted a garden in the east in Eden And there he put the man that he had formed. And then the question is, well... Did he, what, what was this man here? Now, we know that this chapter is zooming in on day six, so there wasn't a whole bunch of mankind in the world, and God took one and put them in the Eden. Um, this, is, this is the day one of mankind, day six of creation, right? And so on day one of mankind, God took the man, put him in the garden. Why did God put Adam in the garden? Well, in verse 15, it goes on and it shows us. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it and to keep it. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And those words work and keep there um, in the Hebrew have connotations of work, care, and serve. 
okay? So to care for it would mean to, to work it and to serve in it. And so God put Adam in the garden to work and to serve. And so I want to tell you all that one of the rhythms that you must have in your life, if you want to have the full potential of God's fruitfulness in your life, is to work and to serve. Can I get an amen? Everybody loves verse 1, 2, and 3 of chapter uh, 2, which talks about rest and the Sabbath and the cease work, but that is after verses 4 to 25 that are, all, that are telling us to work it, work it, work it. Come on now, right? And so everybody wants to Sabbath. Not so many people, not as many people, want to work hard. Everybody wants a day off. Not everybody wants to work before the day off. If you want to rest, get tired first. Come on now. Come on, you want to have a break? Do something to break up. Amen. If you want to rest, get tired first. Kids, if you want to be fruitful, get a job. That's right. Youth, if you want to be fruitful, get a job. Come on now. Oh my gosh, I refuse to get stuck in this oppressive, gender-normative capitalist system. It forces me to work hours of my life every week. I'm a slave. What am I a slave? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Get a job. I heard somebody complaining that their school installed a coffee machine, but they didn't supply soy milk, and the staff had the audacity to say, bring your own soy milk, and they're like, I don't have a job. Listen, if you want a humanely sourced, uh, if, you want a, if you want a humanely sourced, environmentally conscious soy milk latte, get a job. Amen. Buy it yourself. Come on now. <laughs> Lattes cost money. Get a job. Come on, right? It's not oppression. Jobs are not the result of the fall of man. Day one, Adam, get a job, son. Right? Like this happened before the fall. It's not like, oh, stupid Adam and Eve, now I got to get a job. No, you got to get a job because it's one of the productive rhythms of a man and a woman's life that God intended for us since day one. Adam was not even one day old when he got his first job. Dude's like, I don't know, maybe six hours old. God's like, get up, boy, get a job. Dude didn't even know how to use his limbs yet. He's like, I'm going to try and get over there. That's why God picked him up and put him in the garden because he couldn't walk properly yet. Get a job. Someone say amen. amen. Dude's like, God breathes life. Hey, get a job. You know, like, like, come on, dude wasn't a day old. You 22, get a job, all right? Come on now, somebody. How many times does it say work in this text, right? Everyone's like, Sabbath, listen. Uh, uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done. And, and people like, like they, they, all they're hearing is rest. There was some work, son. Right? right? And, then, and then God put Adam in the garden. What? To, to work the garden and then God gets a woman and brings her into his life so that she could help him help him with what 
the work that God gave them to do. Come on now. Someone say it with me. Get a job. Get a job. It's too many people like, I feel the garden calling my name. I feel the garden. I'm going to go rest in the garden. You can rest in the garden after you work the garden for six days. Get a job. You get back to the garden. Everybody's like, I want the garden of Eden back. And God's like, cool, come on in. Now get to work. Come on now. Right? Listen. Listen, if you're an able-bodied human being and you are not working, sorry, and if you're an able-bodied human being, I'm not talking about someone who's retired or whatever else, but you're an able-bodied human being and you're not working for money or working in the home, you are not going to be as fruitful as God intends for your life. You got to either work a job or work at the home, all right? But you need to have a job at home or out of the home. You got to do something. You got to work it, baby. Someone say amen. amen. <laughs> oh, but I got that family money. I don't need a job. You need a job if you want to be fruitful. That family money, that's not your fruitfulness. That's just fruit. That's somebody else's fruitfulness. You eating fruit that somebody else was fruitful for. Come on now. If you want to be fruitful, fruitfulness isn't I've got money. Fruitfulness is, is, is something that you do that produces fruit in your life. Can I get another amen? amen? Nothing wrong with getting money from your folks. My folks give me money. My folks will give me more money, and that's okay. But, but that money's not my fruit. That's my mom and dad's fruit. But I'm called to bear fruit in my life. You won the lottery, get a job. You won the lottery, keep a job. Start a business, do something. But fruitfulness is not just about having money in your life. It's about the rhythms of a man's life and how God intended a man, and by man I mean mankind, how God intended us to live. Ladies, when God made you, what did he make you for? To be the what? helper. Come on now. You weren't some piece of eye candy God just made to stand there and look good while he's working either. God called you to be the helper. Ladies, get a job. In the home, out of the home. I don't care. It's 2022. You do you. Boo boo. But you're called to work it. Come on now, right? Everybody's called to work. Your kids have left the home. Get a job. Either in the home or out of the home. Grow veggies. Do something. Man, you got, a, you got a wife who earns more money than you. You stay home, Dad. Well, get a job either in the home or out of the home, but you're called to work. Got all these kids going to college, graduating with all this debt. They're like, I got all this debt. Why? Because you didn't get a job. Get a job. <laughs> Don't study some gender normative studies of an oppressive capitalist society, blah, blah, and then wonder why ain't nobody going to give you a job and you can't pay for the stupid degree. Get a job. Study something useful. If you study something useful, people will pay you for the usefulness. Come on now. Get a job. Oh, well, what about arts? Arts are useful. Yeah, that's why some artists get paid. If you, no one's paying for your art, it ain't that good. All right? Get a job. Come on now. Come on now. I went, I went to college. I graduated college with more money in the bank than I went in with and less debt. Why? Because I got a job, all right? 
I went to college and I was like, I could sit here or I could get a job. I don't know any, I don't have any friends from college that did not have a job when they were at college. This is one thing. I love America. I don't like this about America, all right? In fact, there's almost nothing even slightly connected to college that I like in America, all right? I think college system in America is destroying America, but... Anyway, I digress from what I'm trying to say. What I don't like about the college experience in America is all these kids go to college and they don't have jobs. And, they, and so what they do is they, they, they put their, their college on debt. They put their living expenses on debt, right? Then they, and then they just play beer pong and throw back schooners all day and wonder why they graduated with so much debt that nobody else wants to pay for. Get a job. You're at college, get a job, all right? You know your four-year degree we do in three years in Australia, and we all have jobs. Amen. Get a job, all right? Get a job. But then I won't have time for all my friends. College isn't supposed to, it's not supposed to be the social experience. It's supposed to be an education. Get a job. And then you won't have time to drink all that beer. Get a job, son. Somebody say amen. amen. Better find my notes. There we go. And this was before the fall. So someone whisper to the most unemployed person, the most unemployed looking person in the room, and just tell them, get a job. A lot of people just looked at me and I know I look unemployed. <laughs> but I got a job. I was at a cafe this morning, uh, usually Sunday mornings these days now that um, church works, uh, you know, and I don't have to be here at like 4 a.m. So I go, usually on my way to church, I go to the cafe with my sons, one or two of the boys, and we, we just have a coffee, you know. You know, that unlocks the power of God in my life every week. It's a it's caffeine, right? And so it's a joke, relax, theologians. And so I, um, and so, um, anyway, I was there this morning, and, and Nick, who manages the cafes, um, I, I said to him, I said, hey, do you like my shoes? He goes, honestly, you look like how I would, s if, a, if a worker came to work dressed like that, I'd send them home. <laughs> and I was like, good thing I'm the boss. And so I have a job. <laughs> so. Amen. Hey, I want to tell you this too before I move on from rhythm number one. Um, if you're retired, can I tell you that you're still called to serve? Okay. You're still called to serve. There's not a moment of your life while there's breath in your lungs that you're not called to do something for the kingdom of God while your body is able. Can I get an amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. We're going to get to the other end of that at the other end of the book, at the other end of the sermon. So rhythm number two, to be fruitful, you must prioritize your relationship with God. Amen. And uh, when people look back at the most fruitful and fulfilling, productive uh, times in their lives, they often see that it is when they were fully devoted themselves and their lives and their families to the things of God and to the Lord. And see, right here in the beginning, <clears throat> on day one uh, of mankind, we see God interacting with us, talking to us, encouraging us, guiding us, telling us, you know, don't touch that, do touch that, maybe eat that, don't that, well, definitely don't eat that, you know, stay away from that guy, you know, all this sort of gear. God's interacting with us, how to do things, uh, 
maybe um, he was like, you know, I told you to like look after the garden. You don't have any tools. Maybe you could like, you know, like use these rocks to make, I don't, you know, like, I don't know. God was working. He was even modeling appropriate behavior for us. And in the garden, this is a very daily thing, perhaps even an almost continuous interaction between God and the created man. And then after the fall, for most um, of mankind, it becomes a very locational and calendared event-based kind of relationship, you know, where we're encouraged on this certain day, at this certain time, in this certain place to go and spend a moment uh, with God. But then in the New Testament, our relationship with God becomes very personal again, like it was intended in the beginning, or at least closer to what was intended in the beginning. And that's because the price of our sin is paid for. We now being sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ have access to the presence of God and to God again, like in the garden and, and the veil and the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on the cross and said it is finished because now what's finished? The, the, the bridge has been finished now where we now have access to God again and, and we can worship Him and, and we can sing songs and we can enjoy His presence and we can read the Word of God and as we do, the Spirit of God is moving in our lives. It's alive in our spirits and we can pray. As Scripture says, we can present our, our request with prayer and petition, presenting our requests to the Lord, making them known. We can pray in the Spirit at all times, as Scripture says, just like it was in the garden. And if you want to be fruitful in your life, you need to... Not not find time, but make time for God in your life. It, it needs to be the number one most important relationship in your life. You need to make time for God. God poured out His blood on the cross. Jesus died, a crown of thorns, a spear in the side, blood poured out, a bit of wine put on His lips. All of this was done because God so longed and so desired to be in a close relationship again with His creation. That's you. God loves you so much. Don't take it for granted. <laughs> Don't take, you will never be as fruitful as you can in your life without putting God first. God is more important than your wife, than your husband, than your children, than your mother, than your father, than your brother, than your sister, than your pastor, than your elder, than your board member, than your leader, than your friends. God is number one. Amen. Amen. I've done whole sermons on that recently. So, but spend time with God. You ready for rhythm number three? To be fruitful, you must honor family. To be fruitful, you got to honor family. Amen. You got to honor the design. You got to honor the purpose. You got to honor the designer. All right. So what's the design? Well, it's a man and a woman, naturally born man, naturally born woman, united in the presence of God to become one flesh. Do not affirm ungodly distortions of family and expect God to bless yours. Do not dishonor the designer by saying, look, just live and let live. It's all fine. Do not affirm and allow ungodly distortions of marriage, of gender, of sexuality, and expect God to bless your marriage, your gender, your sexuality. Do not do that. Amen. Amen. Honor the design and honor 
the designer. Speak up for the designer. You are an ambassador of Christ Jesus. You have been called to speak. You have been called to be a light on this planet. Come on, the salt and the light, not the sugar and the spice. You are the salt and the light. Amen. So be a salt, be a light, and speak truth in the name of Jesus. And, 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 and for sure, don't affirm ungodly things. Don't be like, well, I'm not doing it in my life. I just don't care. Well, that means you just don't care about God's design and God's plan and God's purpose, but you still want him to honor yours. Don't do that, amen? M- moving from that, honor the purpose of family. What's the very first thing we see happening when family is created? What did God do? He said, I'm going to find for him a suitable what? Helper. Yeah. The very first thing that ever happens in family is they help each other. <clears throat> They're there for each other. They're looking after each other. Amen. And they've got time for each other. Don't neglect your family and expect God to continue to bless that which you neglect your family for. Don't neglect your family to work and wonder why God's not blessing your work. Don't neglect your family to serve and wonder why God's not blessing your service. Don't neglect your family for golf and wonder why you have anxiety when you golf. Come on now. Don't neglect your family and expect God to continue to bless you and what you neglected them for. Don't speak in a negative way about your family. You have the power of life. And what is it? The, the, the power of life and death is in, is in the tongue, all right? And we say things like the bowl and chain and, and things like that. And we wonder why they feel like a bowl and chain. It's because you called your husband or you called your wife a bowl and chain and you spoke that negative, ungodly kind of vibe into that, into that relationship. Don't do that. Speak life into them. Amen. Speak life into into that relationship. Family is not a burden. Recognize it is a gift from God for you to help them and for them to help you. If you're not married, you might be like, well, 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 how do I honor my family? By honoring your mother and father. Because at the end of this text, you know what we see? We see here, oh, wrong chapter, all right. We see here, we don't just see husbands and wives mentioned in this passage. We also see sons and daughters, mothers and fathers. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then they were both naked and they were not ashamed. They loved naked Saturday. Come on now. It's in the word. And so what I'm saying here is, is family is important. If you're not married, honor your mother and father. If you're not married, honor your brother and sister. Come on now, honor them, look after them, help them, be there for them, okay? Family is intended to be the most important human relationships in your life. Some of you all be like, well, my dad's a this and my mom's a that. Listen, there was a season in my life where I didn't appreciate my dad because of he was at the time, he was drinking way too much alcohol and, and, and it bothered me and it annoyed me and I used to be annoyed. I, I'd have to put the motorcycle away because we're like, well, if we hurt ourselves, he won't be able to take us to the hospital and whatever. So, so we, uh, I got frustrated and I, I decided that I wasn't going to honor him anymore and, uh, and I still respected him. It was like, well, I'm still going to do what he says because I don't want to get a hiding. You know, we grew up on on a farm, you know, you got to hide when you're disobedient on the farm, you know, and, uh, and, then, and, and then one day my, 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 one of the pastors, Damo, came to me and he's like, Jesse, you got to honor your father, and I'm like, well, he doesn't act in a way that deserves it, and he said, well, do you want a, a, a blessful, blessed and fruitful life, because scripture doesn't say honor your father if he doesn't drink too much, and, and it will go well for you in your life, it says honor your father, right. 
Listen, I don't know what your dad's like, I don't know what your mom's like, but a key to a fruitful life is honoring family. And before you're married, that's who you're called to honor. You might be like, well, they're this or they're that. You should read and Google. I'm not saying that everything Joyce Meyer preaches is wonderful and fantastic, but you should Google her story about the relationship with her father and what a terrible man he was and the words she got from God and how it changed his life and her life. (coughs) And when you apply the principles of the word of God to your life, you will see it change your life, amen? Family's the most important relationship in your life, and for too many people, they give the shirt off their back for everybody else, but they'll ignore their own families. For too many people, they'll be there to fix your pipes in your house, but their own family sits in neglect and squalor. My grandma's name was Joy. She could not have had a more inappropriate name. She was the most bitter woman I'd ever met in my life. And I remember as kids, I remember Helen and I laughing or talking, we'd be like, her name is just not right. You know, like, Joy. Maybe we could call her Bitter Sage or something like that, but but this Joy thing, it's not working. And one day we found out why. My sister was watching TV, and back in the day, Google used to have to advertise, and so they were advertising and, and talking about Googling each other's names and things like that, so my sister was Googling, and then all of a sudden, she's like, let's Google grandma's name, so she Googled grandma's name with her maiden name, or so we thought. She Googles it, and this missing person thing pops up. It's like, I don't know, 10 or so years old, and, and, and she's like, oh, that's funny. There's a missing person with the same name as my grandma. Not the missing person is funny, and then uh, and she goes on, and she digs. She clicks on it. She's like, oh, wow, that's odd. This missing person has the same name and was also born in Invercargill, New Zealand and that's where grandma was born and it says she's been missing for 50 years or whatever this is or 40 years or whatever this is odd this this is strange and, and she's like man somebody's trying to get some money out of our family we're like they don't know the secret what's the secret we don't got no money you know and so, so but we're like what's going on here and and so then as she digs deep she clicks it again there's a photo of this this woman joy and and this woman looks exactly like my mom at that age but in black and white and it's getting confusing and Jackie's reading about it and then she finally rings the number on there and she calls the lady up and goes yeah hi my name's Jackie um I think, I've read this missing person things on, on, on the Google, and, um, and, and I think your mom is my grandma. And the lady faints and collapses, whatever else. It had been 10 years since she thought of that ad or whatever else. What's funny is, what's interesting is we found out that, that she, she had six kids already in Invercargill, New Zealand. I don't know what age she was, maybe mid-20s, 25, 26, something like that. And, and then she left them, and, and she, she, she left there, and she moved to Australia, and, and, and what we thought was her maiden name was actually her previous married name, and then she married my grandpa, and I guess that was illegal, but anyway, and so, so she did that, and some crazy stuff going on there, and, and anyway, and then one day after we started meeting all these other kids, there was five left, one had passed away from cancer already, um, and there's a whole bunch of grand, uh, new, new nephews and nieces and cousins and whatever else, 20 of them or something like that, and What's crazy is um, one of them told the story to my sister about, about the, 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 the first husband's funeral, their father, and, and, and at the funeral, everybody got up and they talked about this wonderful, kind man, and they were like, oh man, he gave you the shirt off his back. He was such a good man. He gave all the kids in the neighborhood presents, and everybody got Christmas presents, and everybody got birthday presents, and, and everybody loved him, and, and if you were in trouble, he was the man to call, and, 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 and if, you, if you needed bread, he was the, if you needed money, he was the man. He, he was just such a good, kind, awesome, good man, and, and then after a while, the kids are watching, and they're like, 
Who the heck are they talking about? That's not the man that raised us. I don't know. So one of them finally did what a lot of people have wanted to do but never have the guts to do. And he got up and he said, I don't know who y'all are talking about, but that son of a mother, bippity, bip, 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 was nothing but a useless bippity, bip, bip, bip. And I don't know what he did for you, but here's what he bippity, bip, bip, bip for us. Got up and just destroyed the man. Now look, hey, honor your father. Don't do that. But, but here's the thing about that man. What he did to the world is virtue signal. Ultimate virtue signaling. Look what I'll do for everybody, but neglected his own kids. The kids got up to tell stories about how that man would, would show them the presents that he's going to give the neighborhood kids, but wouldn't give them any. That man would have presents for everybody at Christmas time, and he'd show them, and he'd say, this is for everybody else, and he would torment them, and he would ridicule them, and he would abuse them. But on the outside, everybody thought he was the best. He would give the shirt off his back, but he wouldn't give a second hand shirt from goodwill to one of his kids virtue signaling listen you can't afford to buy a gift for some other kid if you can't afford to get one for your own the most important relationships in your life is your family that's why scripture will not allow a pastor to mismanage his own family and still preach the word of god that's why it's one of the one of the most important prerequisites for it doesn't say bible college it says look after your family well or you're disqualified because otherwise you're doing nothing but virtue signaling to the world saying look what a good man i am but you're neglecting the most important relationship in your life the most important people in my life are my wife and my kids and you know what's more important according to the call of God in my life is that they all go to heaven that's more important than a thousand of y'all come on now that's what God calls me to do and God calls you to do the same your family matters most can I get an amen you can't even afford a sponsor child if you're not feeding your own kids properly hey I'm all about sponsor children we do it every year, and this November we will again. If you don't have a sponsor child, you should get one. If you can't afford one, you should get a budget. You live in America. You can afford it. You just got to learn how to budget. If you want help budgeting, we got a team of people on staff that will help you with your budget, all right? You can do it, all right? But you got to feed your kids before you look after the world, all right? That's the first call of God on your life is to help your family. Make sure you got that rhythm going in your life. Is this all right? Come on now. I know I, um, I really did think this was going to be one of the, an amazing message. You're like, this is just great rhythms in your life. But instead, it's like, shut up, bam, bam, bam. But whatever. Anyway, what's next? Oh, that's right. The one everybody wants to know about. <clears throat> sort of teased you at the start. Bring it back at the end. Rhythm number four. To be fruitful, you must rest. Slash Sabbath. Before I talk about the importance of Sabbath and what a post-cross Sabbath means or looks like in a Christian's life, I very quickly want to also very briefly just sort of hit the theology for you. We're going to zoom back in a bit for a moment um, and talk about why as Christians we often worship on Sundays, not the traditional Hebrew day of Saturday, and why the Sabbath does not have to be a set day of the week after the cross. So I want to share that with you. Um, obviously, for time's sake, I had to cut out a lot of this because I wasn't going to fit the full uh, four rhythms in, um, but, um, but, but, but we can share more. Um, so where do we find Sabbathing being 
being a specific day that was commanded to us, right? It wasn't in, it wasn't in this passage we just read. That was God, right? He said, and God said it about. But where do we find um, the instruction given to us <clears throat> to Sabbath and to set it aside uh, as a specific day of the week? Uh, it's in what Scripture calls the law, okay? Um, but Scripture tells us <clears throat> that we're not under the law, but under grace. And, and, and we live to the law of Christ, right? And so, so for, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. That's Romans 6.14. And we know that Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law. And I love that he says, not abolished, but fulfilled, because he's fulfilled that, but not abolished that. What that means is, because he said the law and the prophets. And so what that means is, what God said, God said, and what God said is always there, right? And, there's, and then we didn't abolish like the Old Testament and what all the prophets wrote. And so, so we got Genesis. We can still understand the law of first mention, uh, the principle of first mention. We can still see God's plan and, and design and intention with design and family and marriage and all that sort of gear, but he says he's fulfilled it, right? We're not bound by what Scripture calls the law. Now, there are three types of the law in the Old Testament. There's the civil law, there's ceremonial law, there's the moral law, okay? And so the civil law, that'd be things like treason laws or health and well-being laws, social laws, inheritance laws that were given to the nation of Israel, not to the church, but to the nation of Israel. Now, some Civil laws are repeated. Most are not applicable as we don't live in those societies or in those countries that were in the Old Testament. Though, though many of our civil laws are actually inspired by many of those civil laws and thus we are required to obey them, right? Because like I said in, in my garden politics sermon, um, we are called to submit to authorities. Now, that submission does not mean obedience. Submit to your husband does not mean that she's got to willy-nilly obey everything that I do because I might say to do something ungodly and she should not. But submitting to somebody or is actually, is that in my heart there is a posture that, that desires to cooperate. So rather than always searching for reasons to disobey, I'm, I, I am instead focused more on looking for opportunities to cooperate with you. Does that make sense? And so, so we see here that, that, that we are still desire to cooperate with laws that are not ungodly, right? A classic example in Scripture would be tattoos. They were civil law, not a moral law of the day, but the heart of the issue might still, um, might still project a good principle on your life. So I don't want to tattoo demonic things on my body, okay? That would not be a godly thing to do. It would be an unwise <coughs> thing to do, and it would not, God, not that God would punish me, but, but it would definitely invite demonic things into my life. So if I had demonic tattoos, demons, demonic utterances, I would, I would delete that when I got saved. You hear what I'm saying, right? Then there's ceremonial law. Ceremonial law, which is, um, it, it also says abolished at different times, but fulfilled. Um, and, and they have become very symbolic of new sacraments in our faith, right? Um, but these are fulfilled in Christ. An example of a ceremonial law would be like a couple of examples. Three examples would be um, circumcision. Uh, men, if you're not circumcised, we don't got to take care of that today. Um, we were going to. I read my Bible and realized you get a break. Don't worry about it. Um, <clears throat> Uh, another one would be women can come to church when they're menstruating. That was not okay. That was a ceremonial law. It was about what's appropriate at the ceremony. Um, a man would be considered unclean if he slept with a wife at that period uh, of the month, at that time of the month. And now it's still disgusting, but it's not a sin. And so, 
And so, so we see the difference between these types of laws. Do you hear what I'm saying, all right? And then there's the moral law. We're not under the law, okay? Now, we are not under the law. That sounds well and good, but, but that does not mean we are not under any laws, okay? We're not under the law. Now, what law? Well, I'm still under laws. There's laws in this country. I got to obey them, all right? There's, there's laws about housing. There's laws about, there's laws about everything in America, right? There's a law about laws in America, right? So we're still under law and we're still under restrictions that have been placed upon our lives in the New Testament uh, by Jesus and the apostles. So when it says we're not under the law, it doesn't mean there's no law in our lives. It doesn't mean we're lawless. It means that we're not under the law of Moses. Okay, so like I said earlier, ceremonial, civil, moral law, we don't live under that. Now, if we look at the moral law in the Ten Commandments, though not all ten are moral laws, uh, nine are or most are, um, they have all, the Ten Commandments, they have all except for one been reinforced and reapplied by Jesus and the apostles' teaching. So you're still called to honor your mother and father. I still had to. You still have to. You got to figure it out. You may not like it, but God's way is better. Amen. You're still called to be honest. You don't get to lie. You don't get to cheat on your taxes. You absolutely should use every single possible loophole to the extent that you possibly can, but you should not lie and you should not cheat on your taxes, okay? You're still called to love God. You're still called to love people. You're still prohibited from murder. Sorry, the murdering is still bad. I know you were hoping the purge cannot happen, all right? You still can't go stabbing, all right? We still can't murder. In fact, Jesus expanded on that, reapplied that in an even greater way and said, now if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder, okay? right? You still can't steal. So when the offering bucket went around, if you took a little something, something for yourself, put it back and say sorry. Come on now. I'm just kidding. That's never happened. Well, I don't know. I assume it hasn't. All right. Other moral laws are repeated in the New Testament, such as homosexuality, practicing homosexuality and abortion, things like that, right? And so how's that repeated? Well, well, God calls homosexuality an abomination. He forbids us from, from men sleeping with men. Specifically, he says that on the repeat, right? And then in the New Testament, we see that Christ affirms that marriage is between a man and a woman. Asked about marriage, he doesn't say, yes, stay married. He says, yes, a man should leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh which is not possible for a man and a man by the or a woman and woman and then and he affirms that and then the apostles affirm that and 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 speak against homosexual behavior as sin again abortion we see in the old testament and the new testament that god calls a child in the womb by name and knows them and has a plan for them and the, and that they can hear god uttering to them and, and they are their spirit utters to god and then we see in the new testament that that we have uh baby jesus and and baby uh, uh, baby um, John the Baptist uh, in the womb and, and in Mary and Elizabeth's wombs and, and the Spirit of God in each recognizes the Spirit of God in the other and they jump for joy and so we know their people we know that their life and that God calls them and knows them and murder is still sin so they're reaffirmed okay but after all of that the Sabbath is not repeated as a command in New Testament scripture So we don't follow the Ten Commandments because Moses told us to. We don't. We follow them because Jesus and the apostles instructed us to. We don't obey nine of the Ten Commandments because they were given to Moses. 
We obey them because they're pretty much identical to the ones we were given by Jesus and the apostles. Because they, these nine were given again and expanded on by Jesus in the New Testament, specifically for believers in the Christian age. So what does Paul say about the Sabbath? Is this good? You're cool so far? Good. Just so you know, I have not landed this plane on time once this weekend. I have pretty much every other week since I got back from vacation, but not this weekend. So uh, make peace with that. But this is good for you. So we got a few more minutes and then we're good. Maybe three, four, three minutes and I'm probably done. But <clears throat> um, so what does Paul say about the Sabbath? Well, Paul went to synagogues on the Sabbath to witness to the lost is what it tells us. After Paul said, from now on, I will minister to the Gentiles, he only mentions the Sabbath one more time. And he says, therefore, do not, let, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ Jesus. These are a shadow of things to come. But the reality, however, is found in Christ Jesus. Two main reasons why um, Christians started worshipping on Sundays instead of Saturdays. Um, one is very theological, the other one is very basic in nature. Um, some early Christians used the synagogues. They were busy on Saturdays, so they went on Sunday instead. Real basic, right? <clears throat> They're like, well, these guys are using it that day. Synagogues were often used like a civic center where people could book it, use it for certain purposes, and so they would use it on Sunday. Excuse me. Um, but mostly, but more importantly, um, uh, every time the, in Scripture that the time and the date um, of Jesus appearing after the resurrection, uh, every time that the time and date is mentioned after the resurrection, it was on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And Jesus rose again on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And our whole religion is that of being born again, new life, new beginnings. And the first day of the week, the new week, the new beginning is Sunday. And, uh, and so, so all, you put all that together in the early church, almost exclusively worshipped on the first day of the week. And that's not just after, uh, after the New Testament, that's in New Testament included. They almost exclusively worshipped on the first day of the week. But more importantly, and again, I've only shared one of about 15 different scriptures that we could for that. But more importantly, Paul says, stop arguing over this stuff, no one cares. There is another scripture here where he says, do what feels right in your heart regarding these things. If in your heart it's important that you worship on Saturday, come on Saturday night. If in your heart it's important that you worship on Sunday, come on Sunday. If in your heart it's important that Sunday's the day off for you, then come on Sunday, then have a day off on Sunday. If it's Saturday, have that. In the Western world, we lucked out. We got both, right? And uh, so we got to get on with what God come up. But, but here's what's important, that the principle of stopping still remains pre-garden, sorry, pre-fall, a day for the Lord, a day to rest, a day for the Lord, and a day for family. See, Sabbathing, setting aside a day every week of your life that is for the Lord and for your family and for rest, see, it stewards and honors the first three rhythms that God instituted in chapter two, a day for the Lord. And it's still a command that we do set aside a time for the Lord. It says, does, just doesn't say when it has to be. It says, but it does say we need to go to church. 
whether you want to come Saturday night or Sunday, if we had church on Tuesday night, whatever. But it says, do not forsake the gathering of the believers. Paul also said, hey, on the first day of the week, understanding that most Christians then went to church on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, set apart your tithes and your offerings for the service of the Lord. And so it's not a, but the Sabbath is not a command now. It is a blessing. You understand? See, Scripture says that we were, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. It's not a command, but a blessing in your life. Work hard, enjoy it too. Take time to set aside for the Lord. If you want to live a fruitful life, go back to the rhythms that God showed us in the beginning. When God created us, he put us to work. And the very next day, what does he do? He stops, he rests, and he makes note of it, and he mentions it to us. God was modeling for us an important rhythm that we need in our lives, that if we want to be fruitful and multiply like God calls us to, we need to rest. You need rest in your life, okay? Would you all stand up with me as we get ready to open the altars for prayer? You will survive an extra eight minutes. You need these eight minutes, okay? You need to listen to the rest of this word. Sabbathing honors the first three rhythms. It honors God, it honors the work, and it honors your family. I had a friend who was given millions of dollars by his father. When his father died, he inherited it. And he always drove this beater of a car. It was a piece of trash, I kid you not, right? And I was confused by that. By the way, there's nothing wrong with driving a beater. I I have a nice truck, the Diamonds look after me. I'm, I'm blessed in that, in that area. But I, um, I also, in my heart, kind of really want like a beater as well. And do you know what, any men in here know what I mean? Like you just, like you're like, I got this nice truck, but I also want a piece of trash. And I don't know why I want to drive that around probably more than the nice one. You know, we're weird like that, right? But um, there's nothing wrong with having a beater. The, um, but I asked him, I'm like, dude, why you drive this piece of trash? It's always stressing you out. You've got so much money. Why haven't you bought a house? Why haven't you bought a car? Why, why, why have you done something with this money? And he said, well, I want to I honor the gift and I want to honor my father and I don't want to waste it. I want to steward what he gave me. But in his effort to be what he thought was a wise steward, he was actually not even enjoying what God gave him. And see, rest and stewardship is an opportunity to stop and enjoy what God's given you. It's an opportunity to stop and enjoy what you have even created in your own life. See, this man, what he needed to understand was stewardship is not just about restraint. It's also about release. It's both. It's not being ridiculous and frivolous in your release and not being crazy, stingy and tight in your restraint, but instead acting in a godly way. Stewardship is also consumes and restrains. And so he, he was not honoring the gift if he died with it. Just similarly, don't work every day of your life and die without actually stewarding and Sabbathing and resting and enjoying what God gave you and what you've worked for. Sabbathing and picking a day that every week I'm going to have this day off also helps protect you from a love of money because you're like, you know, six days is enough for that. That's that's enough working. I'm going to take this day. I don't need another day's worth of money. I'm not living for that. And so so Sabbathing, resting, taking care of that, make sure that you've got time to enjoy what God created and gave you. Make sure that you've got time to 
Enjoy the fruits of your own labor. Amen. <clears throat> enjoy your family. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy verse 25. Hallelujah. Come on now, right? Honor God. Honor the work. Honor your family. Get these rhythms right in your life. You will be fruitful and multiply. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.